lost a loved one recently? Do you find it hard to move on with your life? There are lots of questions and a quest for a solution. Where do you start? Welcome to From Morning to Morning with your host, Rabbi Mel Glazer. Rabbi Mel and his guests are here to guide you through the different stages of grief and help you heal from your loss. You'll come away with a much better understanding of how you can move forward. Now, here's Rabbi Mel. My friends, it's evening in Colorado Springs, almost. Still bright outside. The sun's going down. I'm glad to have you from morning to morning. And you know why we call it that, because it's possible we believe firmly with all our heart, and that's what we've been learning about. We believe that you can um, go from morning to morning. And that's what we try to do. And we try to bring in guests and have conversations. So I have a guest tonight who I just met two days ago at breakfast. Uh, We didn't know each other, but now we're good friends. Her name is Lauren Carroll. And I'm going to read you a little bit about her. Lauren Carroll founded Returning Home in August 2014. After working for a small family funeral home in her hometown of Southern California, then making the move to Colorado, I guess it was too hot for you in Southern California. You needed the wind. And working for a corporate-run funeral home, she knew families needed more. They needed options, they needed affordability, They needed to be conscious of the earth, but most of all, they needed the option to reconnect with a sacredness and healing that comes from caring for your dead loved ones at home. She left the industry in 2009 and began her studies of home funerals and the traditional ways of caring for the dead at home. The mission of Returning Home, that's the name of her organization, is providing education and shifting the American views and ways in which we interact with death and dying. Death is a transition in life, not to be feared, but to be embraced. When you take away fear, you begin to honor the life lived. Families begin to heal, and the heart can catch up with the mind. There is no greater honor than serving families and the dying during this time. So good evening, Lauren, my friend. Hello. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? When are we going back for breakfast? Have you figured it out? Tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) No, not. Sorry, I got a date. (laughs) So let me ask you a question because I'm going to say to my listeners... Listeners, you're going to hear some things from Lauren you have never heard before in your life. I will guarantee you. Because until I met Lauren and read about the work that she does, I never heard of these things either. Um, She's going to talk to you about home funerals. She's going to talk to you about keeping your dead loved ones at home. Um, doing your own funeral, but I don't want to 
speak for you. So, Lauren, welcome to the show, and why don't you start out and give us an introduction to how you're different than anybody else? Um, well, I, I wouldn't say I'm different. There are a few of us out there <laughs> that do educate and help support families through a home funeral. Um, but as a funeral director, I saw a lot of families coming in and grieving, as you know, and not knowing what to do with their grief. And what I've learned with home funerals is that you get a job and a purpose and you get to act through your grief by physically lifting the body or bathing the body or just sitting there and being with your loved one at 2 o'clock in the morning and crying over them. So instead of sitting in grief and not knowing what to do and coming to the funeral home to make arrangements with me and then coming back a few days later for the service, the family now gets to be more hands-on and involved. And in that process, their grief transforms into something different. And I, I personally believe that there's healing that comes with caring for your dead yourself versus handing that over to a stranger. And that's where you got me at breakfast. When you said to me, you know, the way it usually is, is uh, Papa dies and you don't see him again until um, right before the funeral when they open the casket and you take a look at him. And most times the cosmetologist comes in and she makes him look real purdy. And, you know, the joke, he's never looked so good. But he's, <laughs> yeah. he's dead. He's or dead. they yeah. say that doesn't look anything like him. <laughs> yeah, correct. Right. Or if there's an open casket, people, you know, have the procession around the casket. And they say whatever they say. And he is... Um, I don't know, he's either looking good or he's looking terrible, like you said. But what you said to me was that from the time of death, in the classical funeral scenario, we don't come in contact with this person, with Papa, mm -hmm. uh, from death till the funeral. And what you said that really got to me was that if you needed to grieve at 2 a.m. like you just hinted at, you can go downstairs where he's on the couch or you can go in his bedroom where he's lying in his bed and you can, and you can cry and you can talk to him and you can be with him and you can do all of the things that we've talked about on this program many times. You can um, forgive him for whatever he has said or not said that hurt you. You can apologize for whatever you've done that has hurt or not hurt, has hurt him. You can thank him for the good times that you spent together. You can say, I love you, and you can say goodbye. And you exactly. do that, and the funeral directors don't need to be involved. I was impressed by that. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of families would come in and they've never been to a funeral home and then all of a sudden the family's the one who's on display. They have to stand up there after the viewing and everybody does the procession line and 
greets them and says, we're so sorry for your loss. And then they go home or they go to the cemetery and have the burial. But the family doesn't really get that time. And they're not in a comfortable space. It's A funeral home to me is almost like a dentist office. Everything is very sterile. Everything looks the same. You know, we make it look like a home, but it's not your home or your loved one's home. And so when you have the body at home, not only do you have the space and time to wake up in the middle of the night and say, okay, nobody else is around. I can finally say everything I need to say. But you're also doing it in an environment that you feel safe in and you feel loved in. And I think that makes the world of difference. And being at home is everything. Like you say, you're not in a strange place. Uh, he doesn't care. Papa doesn't care anymore. But like we believe in the Jewish tradition, and you and I have talked about it, that there are two rules, two traditions about Jewish way of death. Uh, one is honoring the dead, and the other is comforting the living. And I think when you, when you have home funerals, you come much closer to both of those than when you, you know, hire a funeral home to come and do it. And when you, when you use a funeral home, it's a job for them. I'm not saying they're nasty, and I'm not saying they don't care, and I'm not saying they're not, they're not compassionate and empathic and all that. But it's closer to a job than a mission, and we agree that we're on a mission. That what we right. do is, is a and mission. I, I mean, I can say that all the funeral directors I worked with, the reason you do that work is because you care about people. But it's different. I didn't know any of these people. I gave respect to the dead, but I didn't have any sort of connection to them. It was just a job. And so I do truly believe that it is part of the family's last act of love to care for their dead. Um, I always tell people, you know, your grandmother may have bathed you when you were a baby, and now you have the opportunity to bathe her. And I think that's a beautiful connection and a perfect ending to a circle of life. And you don't get that opportunity in a traditional funeral home. So... I'm thinking that, you know, if I suggested home funerals to members of my congregation, now we come very close to what you, what, what you talk about in terms of a personal relationship. And I told you that we sit with the body in the closed casket from death until the funeral, and then we are together with the family, but... We don't talk to Papa. I mean, we could when we're sitting at 3 a.m. in the funeral home, but there's two or three other people sitting there with us. Mm -hmm. if, if I suggested this to my congregants, and I have a feeling that if other clergy suggested this to their congregants, their congregants would say, you are crazy. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's what I run into a lot. <laughs> What kind of Mainly it's yeah. people asking, is this legal? Because we all know that you use a funeral home. And I like to just remind people that we really didn't use funeral homes until around the 1940s. Before then, it was still the families caring for their dead at home. They would be laid out in the 
parlor or the, you know, the family room, and that's why the funeral home took the funeral parlor name. Um, but in all 50 states, it is legal to have home funerals. Our nine that require a funeral home's assistance. But Colorado is one of the states where the family can do everything from filing the death certificate, um, transporting the body to the cemetery, keeping their loved one at home. They do require the use of dry ice or techni ice um, after 24 hours after death. Refrigeration of some sort is required or embalming in the state of Colorado. So what we do is we supply the family with either dry ice or this uh, techni ice. It keeps the body cool and it slows down the decomposition process. And uh, most people just don't even know that that's an option. So most of my job is to educate. I, I go everywhere I can and I talk about this just so people have an idea that, one, it's an option, two, that it's legal, and three, it's safe. And then my favorite part, of course, is the healing that comes from it. Are you getting more and more people to accept this? I wouldn't say people ever accept death in general, and that's a problem that I run into in society is they don't even want to talk about death. They don't want to think about it, and you have to think about it to have a home funeral, and that's what a funeral home does. It's convenient. You just make a phone call, and then they're swept away, and you don't have to think about it again until the actual funeral. When you have a home funeral, you're faced with the death of your loved one. You can't get away from it. And so I sometimes the grief is more intense than that first day. But that's not a bad thing. But in society, it's a fearful thing of, oh, I don't think I could be alone with my mom in this room for a whole day. That sounds like the worst thing ever. And I always just tell people, you don't know that until you do it. And then once they do it, they go, oh. I could never have done it another way. This this was perfect. I'll tell you a story. When I was in this was this was probably forty five years ago. I was in my first congregation and it was right across the street from a convent. <laughs> and we had a sister, a retired Dominican sister who was our babysitter. And she used to, uh, she was wonderful, Sister Agatha, may she rest in peace. And she would take our son out in the stroller for, uh, you know, for rides. And until she got very nervous and she said, what will your neighbors think when they see a nun with a collar, you know, driving a baby around? Will they think it's our baby? What will they think? Anyway, they had this tradition that when one of the sisters died, they would put a wreath above the front door. And that was a sign to everybody who knew it that that one of the sisters has died. So one Saturday afternoon, um, we went over to see Sister Agatha at the convent because she used to take my son Avi every Sabbath afternoon so that my wife and I could take a nice Sabbath nap. So, so we took him over there and there's a wreath above the door. My wife said to me, what is that wreath for? And I said, it means one of the sisters has died. 
Well, my wife didn't know that the sister was hanging out in the in the convent, you know. She was laid out there in the front room. Anyway, we go in, and the mother superior who knew me said, Rabbi, how are you? Good Sabbath to you. And I said, good Sabbath to you. And she um, said hello to my son, who was probably four years old at the time. And I said, who died? And she said, Sister Mary Jane died. Would you like your son to say goodbye to her? And I'm thinking, uh-oh, we're going to have a problem here. Uh, he's four years old. He's never seen a dead person ever. And I didn't really want to start that. So I said to my wife, what do you think? And she says, honey, you're the rabbi. You get to make the decision. <laughs> so I decided we were going to postpone that. And I, I said goodbye to her. And they walked in the other room. But it, I could imagine for a four-year-old who's never seen a dead body, now, whether it would be anxiety-producing, I don't know. Who knows? Like you said about the adults, you don't know until you do it. That's right. But it was a very, uh, it was anxiety-provoking for me because, you know, because I didn't want to have the conversation about Daddy. Why is she just lying there not breathing? I don't want to get into that yet. He was too young, I thought. Well, yeah. I think I think we're very separated from death now as a society too, and so a lot of people don't even have a death in their family until they're older, just because we have improved medical facilities and people are just living a lot longer. And most of our families are separated. So if Great Aunt Bertha died, well, okay, I haven't seen her since I was two. I don't really remember. Let's go to her funeral. It's just, it's a different time, but, you know, a hundred years ago, death was more common, and, and people lived on farms, and so their pet chicken would die, and mm-hmm. so kids had a better idea of what death was. Now it's shielded, and when it's not shielded, it's something scary that you see on a movie or on a TV show. It's a trauma. It's something horrible. Right. And so I think it's important for us to communicate that death is, it is a trauma, of course, but it's not horrible. It's just, it's another part of our lives. And there shouldn't be fear wrapped around it because that's the problem that we run into now is people don't know how to grieve because they're too scared to because death is a scary traumatic thing because that's the way we've been raised to think and see and know. And I think if death was a more natural thing, which it is, and it was in the home and you invited the whole neighborhood over to pay their respects, you see it in its natural setting. It's, yes, she looks dead. She's not embalmed and she's not covered in cosmetics. She looks like she's resting. She looks like the person I always knew. And uh, it really normalizes it for people, and it takes that fear away so that it's not something that you have to even think about, you know. Are they ready to see somebody dead? Maybe, maybe not, but it's part of our lives, and it's something that I think everybody needs to at least think about and embrace because it will happen at one point or the other. Right. Okay. We need to take a break for a few seconds. 
So we all stick around with me and Lauren, and we will be right back. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Believe it or not, the Bible talks a lot about grief and healing and can be a powerful source for us to move forward. For example, after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt where they'd been slaves, they wandered in the desert for 40 years before God would let them into the promised land. God only wanted those who'd been born free, who'd never known slavery, to enter Israel. Those who had been slaves had to die out before their descendants would be allowed to enter the Promised Land. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, And God Created Hope. Available at Amazon and in Kindle format. When you're wandering after a life loss, you're really wandering in two directions at the same time. Part of you wants to go back, and part of you wants to go forward. That was also true of the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert with Moses. They didn't want to go back to being slaves, of course, but they did want to go back to the familiarity of home in Egypt. It was predictable and known, and they were afraid, like everyone is, of the unknown. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, A GPS for Grief and Healing, available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. Hi, everybody. Rabbi Mel back with my good friend Lauren Carroll, and we are talking about uh, home care after death. And as I said uh, 20 minutes ago, uh, you know, who thought about this? Uh, Lauren has taught us that, that having funeral directors on the scene is relatively uh, a late phenomenon that, that Lauren, when did you say that we started with funeral directors? <laughs> uh, I actually started in the front office when I was 18, typing death certificates. So it's been a while. My family thought I was crazy. It's not a family business. <laughs> well, you're only 25, so that was only seven years ago. So <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> it's not so bad. So we were talking about... Um, seeing the bodies at home after they've died and grieving personally and coming up to them and touching them and, 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 and being in touch and being close okay. and having this personal relationship even after they died. So we were talking about kids and how uh, kids... Uh, you know, I remember that when my daddy died, I was 12, and my family would not allow me and my sister and brother to attend the funeral. And I am convinced, convinced absolutely, 
without any doubt at all that the reason they didn't want us to go is because they didn't want to go. Oh, yeah. They were, you know, they just didn't want to go to this funeral for daddy. And so they kept us home. And I then learned that you you don't do that. If you're if the kid is old enough to have a relationship with the with the one who died, then the kid goes to the funeral and the kid goes to the cemetery as well. Because like yeah. you said, death used to be normal. You would be there on the farm when the chickens died and you would be there on the farm when your aunts and uncles died and your grandparents died. And, and so there was nothing to be afraid of. There was nothing to be scared of because you knew it was a normal part of life. But I, I will never forget. And it's probably what drove me to get involved in grief because I didn't want anybody else to go through what I personally had to go through. And I still remember... Um, when Danny died, and he had been sick for a year, nobody told us what was wrong. He was at home. He worked, but he didn't work for a year. He knew he was dying. But the only person he told was Gertrude, who was the maid who worked for us in Atlanta. And she knew, but she wasn't going to tell anybody. So um, when Danny died, we were all staying at aunts and uncles homes and one by one they brought us back home and mama put us put me on the couch and she said daddy has died well I didn't really know what that meant I mean I watch TV as much as the next 12 year old but I didn't know what that meant so but I do remember Uncle Jack who was the oldest uncle saying to me putting his arm around me and saying Melvin you're the man of the house now. And I'm thinking to myself, what the hell does that mean? I'm not a man. I'm not the man of the house. I'm not going to take care of my mother. I'm only 12 years old. Now I know what he meant. He, he wanted to strengthen me. And, and, you know, in the Bible they say, gird your loins. You know, suck it up and get tough. And that's yeah. what I said, but it didn't, didn't do the trick. And that probably, it was my daddy's death, which probably started me on this trip through grief land. And what you say is not too far from what Jews do. Uh, we, you know, we only use wooden coffins. We wash the body. We place the body in the coffin. We pray. We ask the body to forgive us for anything we've done accidentally. And we, we take care of things. It's as close to what you're saying as it could be without it being at home. Yeah, and I think you brought up a good point that being 12 years old and being denied to go to your father's funeral, that actually is still a really common occurrence, unfortunately, where people ask, or at least when I was a funeral director, can I bring my kid? And I would always say yes. Because if you don't give the child the opportunity to attend the service, 
there's not really the finality that's there. I mean, I personally think seeing the body is crucial in the grief. It really puts a closure to their life that has been lived. And so for a young child to just have somebody else and disappear and you don't get to have any sort of service for them or any recognition that they have died and that they lived a life up to that point, it becomes kind of mysterious or really scary because maybe as a 12-year-old you're thinking, why won't they let me see him? Is he really scary? Did something horrible happen to him? Is something horrible going to happen to me when I die? And it's kind of this constant fear-based cycle that keeps happening in our society around grief. And that's why I really do promote children, especially if they knew them and they love them, to let them see the body, let them touch them, let them kiss them, let them do what feels right to them. Because kids know what they want to do, what they'll feel comfortable doing. We don't have the right to decide for them. And for me personally... I took the opportunity with our pet's death to really introduce that to my kids because that was their first pet that they've lost, that they truly loved. I didn't say, oh, he went to a farm in the country. I said, he died and we had a home funeral for him. We kept his body at home for two days. My kids would come and put flowers on him. And the day we took him to the crematory, my son laid his hand on him, and he said, Mom, he's cold like ice cream. And I said, yeah. And he's like, his spirit's gone. I can feel it. And I was just blown away. My son was only six at the time, and I just looked at him. But that was that was his opportunity. That was his space. That was what he was feeling at the time. And I can't even imagine not giving him the opportunity to say goodbye to his cat that he's known since the day he was born. Right. Well, the death and it of, normalized it. Yeah, the death it was, of a it was, is like a rehearsal yeah. for the death of a human being. It teaches you how to mourn. It teaches you how to grieve. It teaches you yeah. how to how, how death is normal and there's nothing to be afraid of. Exactly. And I really do, with children, I like to tell people, don't tell them he just fell asleep because then children are going to be afraid to fall asleep. That's tell right. Them. He died. (laughs) Don't hide the truth because then you're just making it scary again and you're putting that fear back into death. And that's everything that I'm trying to change right now in society. And why not start with our children? Why not normalize death with them so that when they grow up and they're adults and they do lose loved ones, they don't have that fear because they've already accepted it and they've already seen it and they know that it's not scary. I I really don't like when people say he passed. Mm-hmm. Well, he passed where? To what? To who? To what? You know, he, he passed. Well, the opposite of being of passing is flunking. He didn't flunk. He didn't pass. He just died. He, died. he just exactly. so kids will say to me, and I talk to kids about death a lot in our school. And they say, what does it mean, death? And I say, death means when your body stops working. When mm-hmm. all the parts stop working, your heart doesn't beat, your lungs don't work anymore, nothing works. And I say, you know about that happening because either you're, I use two examples. One, your pet, and everybody's lost a pet. Or 
If you buy a favorite toy, your toy gets old and it stops working. It yeah. doesn't mean you don't love that toy. It means the toy doesn't work anymore. So you got to get another one if you want another one. The difference is you can't get another grandfather. Right. Uh, in today's society, yeah, they can because there's so much second marriages and third marriages. I had a family that had a bar mitzvah, and we usually have the four grandparents on the pulpit, and we take the Torah scroll and we pass it from one generation to the next. So we had six people up there last week because <laughs> everybody got remarried. And I can't imagine how confusing it is. But so it be. That's the way it is. So how do you, um, during the break, uh, my wife Ellen was talking to Lauren and asked her to talk a little bit about how you prepare kids for the time of, of when somebody's going to die. What do, you, what do you say to kids before the funeral? What do you say to kids when uh, daddy is sick or in hospice or something like that? My biggest thing is we're over worrying for them. They're, they're, they're new to this world, so they don't have all these built-in fears and traumas yet that we as adults may already have. And so I think honesty is always the best medicine. I think if you knew that your dad was sick and that his body was starting to fail and that you knew eventually it wouldn't work anymore and that he would be gone, you'd have time to think about that and process that beforehand. That's why I love hospice and the work hospice does with children who are losing parents or grandparents. Um, but as far as when a, a home funeral happens, they don't have the same fear. They're actually more curious. They, the kids are usually the first ones that go up to their grandpa or whoever died and, you know, touches their hands. You know, it's usually the kids who don't have that fear. You'll see the adults standing near the wall and the kids are running around the body like it's no big deal because it is natural and it, it becomes, they're not scared. They don't know that that's supposed to be scary unless we start instilling that in them and telling them that it is something to be scary or unnatural or, you know, not that's okay. Um, that's so exactly. I don't know if there's necessarily an age that you can begin talking to children about death because kids don't really understand death as being final, I think, until the age of six or seven. Um, before then, they'll still kind of have, they'll still think, oh, well, they'll come back. Right. Even if they see the body, even if they're there, if they see people grieve, kids don't really understand the finality of it until they're a little bit older. But I still think it's okay for young children to be around death and to see people grieve and to see people pay respects because I think that's an important part of growing up and becoming a person is knowing that death is something that will happen, that it will make you sad and that it's okay to grieve. But it's not something to be feared. So I don't think there's a there's an, a good age. I would never say like, oh, don't bring your one year olds versus bring your seven year old. I think children should be around death just like they should be around birth and new babies. Well, the only problem I have with babies is that they cry. 
when yeah. they cry, that's what they're supposed to do. And when they cry, they take their mother's attention away from what's going on. Yeah. She is, you know, she doesn't know who to care for first. She's got her kid. She's got to take care of the kid. And she's there for her mother's funeral. So she, she's sort of stretched in both directions. That's my only hesitation. Well, it's a traditional funeral, maybe, but in a home funeral, I don't think that would be a problem so much because maybe in that moment, the mom can step away and have a break right. and be with her child. And then when her child is sleeping, she can go be with her mother again and have that space and that time and that peace. Do most of your families bury in the ground or do they cremate? Cremation is very high in Colorado, and I I don't personally promote cremation or burial. On my my personal beliefs is I want to be buried, go back to the earth. Um, cremation is not necessarily green or earth friendly in any way, and I really like the idea of having a place to go, right? Somewhere for the family to to be. A lot of people, when they're cremated, they go, oh, we'll scatter them in the mountains. But it's not the same. And I always tell people, five generations down the line, when they're doing their genealogy, are they going to go to a mountain and just stand around? Or can they go to a cemetery and see their name and see the dates and see the words and know? A cemetery gives them a healing place. I do that. I believe that. Mm-hmm. And and that's and that's why I I like I don't say I like funerals, but I like funerals because the community comes out and everybody goes and looks by their mama's grave. That's what people do. Yes. You know, so it becomes a family event. Even if you your mama died twenty years ago, you're still going to go and put a stone on her gravestone because that's what we do. So well, there's a movie in the mountains. You can't do that in the water. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could, but I like cemeteries because not only are they usually beautiful and peaceful and quiet, but it is like you said. You can go and find. You can follow a story. You can look up and go. Oh, I remember my great grandma told me about her brother. Right. He was killed on a tractor, and I know he's buried here, and then you get to go find it, and you get to go and sit with him. This person that you've never met died a hundred years before you were even born, but now you get to sit and be with him and pay respects. That's right. You hear so story. I think cemeteries are very important. I think they're very important in grief. I think they're important for families, um, and I think there's... A lot of people don't like cemeteries because they think it's more expensive and there's a lot of things that they have to do. But you can have a green burial, meaning no vault, just a pine casket, or even a, a shroud burial right. at two of our public cemeteries. You just have to ask. Most people go through the funeral home first, so they assume they have to get this bronze lined Right. You know, casket and all these fancy things, and, and that's not required in the most most places. So, okay, what is um, required is that we take another break. So, we don't go away, anyone. We got more to talk about with Lauren Carroll. We'll be right back. 
Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. When you're wandering after a life loss, you're really wandering in two directions at the same time. Part of you wants to go back, and part of you wants to go forward. That was also true of the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert with Moses. They didn't want to go back to being slaves, of course, but they did want to go back to the familiarity of home in Egypt. It was predictable and known, and they were afraid, like everyone is, of the unknown. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, A GPS for Grief and Healing, available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Believe it or not, the Bible talks a lot about grief and healing and can be a powerful source for us to move forward. For example, after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt where they'd been slaves, they wandered in the desert for 40 years before God would let them into the promised land. God only wanted those who'd been born free, who'd never known slavery, to enter Israel. Those who had been slaves had to die out before their descendants would be allowed to enter the Promised Land. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, And God Created Hope. Available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. Hi, my friends. We're back. My friend Lauren Carroll and I are back. We've been talking uh, for the last 43 minutes, uh, to be exact, uh, about Mm -hmm. home funerals and taking care of the dead at home uh, personally instead of allowing, uh, instead of outsourcing it. How do you like that? Instead of outsourcing (laughs) the job to somebody else at the funeral home. And um, we've talked about taking kids to the cemetery with us. And if the funeral's at home, if the care is at home, then we don't have to worry about little kids crying because they're at home and they're, they feel safe. Uh, I was talking about when my father died and I learned two things. One, when they did not let me go to the funeral, I learned that uh, the reality was worse than what I thought it was going to be because all I knew was from TV that funerals were terrible places to be at. Mm-hmm. And two, I, had, I was upset because I knew my family was going through a major family crisis and I was excluded from it. And that feeling never left me. It took a long time to get over that, to really understand what they were going through. But before we go on, I want to read a poem from uh, Lauren's website. It's called, Let's Talk About Death. Death and life are companions, tango partners strutting across the dance floor of existence. And yet so often in Western culture, death is banished to the shadows, 
hidden behind closed doors, talked about in hushed voices, as if death were a terrible secret, as if death were something we could hide from if only we knew where to hide. That's right. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> no place to hide. You can't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. There's no place to hide. And we're all going to die, and, and we ought to just get used to the idea. But people have a really hard time getting used to the idea. I think it's, you know, we beca- we're humans. We become attached to a person. We become attached to the way our lives go. So I don't, I think it's the, the idea of not having somebody is very hard to grasp. But I think if we have an idea of that death is normal and natural and not scary, that when this person is dying, that we can be with them in that dying process versus fearing what's happening and what's going to happen because we've lived life with them. We've accepted that death is part of our life. It changes the whole end of our lives. If we can really live that way. And, um, I was thinking of two things. We, one, you know, that little four year old is going to have to grieve some more at every different age level that he comes to. Because he thinks about death differently and he thinks about the relationship differently. And so he's going to have to go through it all, all over again. And that's, that's almost worse than the first time. Uh, You you never get over it. I mean, you just don't, you just don't, you don't get over it. Let me ask you a question. Um, What do you think happens to the soul after the body dies? Well, I guess my easiest answer to that, because I think that's a pretty broad question, I do believe that our bodies are natural, organic things. They can't last forever. They're going to fail us at one point, and they're going to become Earth again. But I believe that the soul is separate from the body, and I do believe that it's an energetic it's a, it's an energy. It's when you look at brain scans, that's energy and energy can never truly die. That is something that you learn in science class. I think in fifth grade, the energy continues. You can't stop energy. So when your body is done, that doesn't mean your soul is done. Your soul continues. That energy can be felt in the room. Even if anybody's been with somebody after they've died, it's, you can still feel that energy. It shifts, it changes, but it's still present. And I truly believe that. And where does the energy go after a few days? That uh, That's the mystery that I don't have answers to. But I do truly believe that it continues. We continue. Our soul continues. I use as, um, as an example. Is that a good answer? Um, I like that answer. That was a good answer, yeah. Yeah, not bad. Hello? You're a pro. Hello, I'm here. Are you here? Yeah. I'm back. I don't know what happened. My soul flew away. I was going (laughs) to... But you would never die. (laughs) Soul would always be there. So I started to tell the story that 
that the first family gathering after somebody dies, like whether it's Christmas or Easter or Thanksgiving or a birthday party or a Hanukkah party or whatever it is, and let's say that it was the grandfather, the head of the family who died. Mm -hmm. so nobody knows, nobody wants to sit in his seat. He always sat in the same seat, obviously, because he was the head of the family. And so what do you do? So I suggest, and I've written about it in my books, that for the first year only, you leave his chair um, open. Nobody sits in his seat the first year. That's a sign of honor and respect. And then, before the meal begins, you go around the table, whoever's next in command of the family, because that's the other issue. Not only did Papa die, but the position of Papa died. So somebody's got to be the next Papa. It's worse than just, it's two deaths in one. Right, it is. Yeah. So, I mean, who's going to be the next Papa? And who's going to be the next Mama or the next aunt that they can tell everything to? And she won't tell anybody and she won't punish them, etc. So, my suggestion is that you go around the room and everybody tell a story about whoever it was that died. Everybody got to tell a story. From three years old on up, everybody got to tell a story. I loved when we did whatever we did. And, it, and people will cry and people will laugh. But the tension will be broken, and so Thanksgiving can be Thanksgiving, and Christmas yes. can be Christmas, and then you can really celebrate because he's really there with you. That's and I think that's a great way to respect somebody. Is, I mean, a lot of people are so scared after somebody dies that they don't even want to talk about them because they're like, oh, well, we don't want to make everybody sad. And I think that's the absolute worst thing you can do. What's better than to, to talk about them and to remember the beautiful things that they did and said and the way they affected your family? And maybe they never will be replaced because, you know, they were one in a million, but you can't just ignore the fact that they're gone. You have to remember them and keep them alive through stories and keeping their chair there for them. I think that's a, a, a big respect thing. It took me 20 years after my daddy died to say the word daddy. Mm. 20, yeah. two, zero years because I didn't know what to say and I was afraid that whatever I was going to say was going to be wrong. So I just didn't talk about him. And we didn't have, I didn't see him a lot because he worked all day long. He had a grocery store in Atlanta on what used to be third base of Atlanta Stadium. And uh, he usually got up to go to work before I woke up and he came back after I went to bed. So we only saw him on Sundays. He was open six days a week. And on Sundays he would make us pancakes and we would take a car trip and we had a fine time, but I didn't, you know, remember him so much. So I didn't talk about him. Let me, um, we have about three minutes left, so so tell us something brilliant that we can remember you by. 
<laughs> well, uh, I could probably talk about home funerals and death and dying for at least three more days. <laughs> but in three minutes, um, I think I just, what I like to do is just to get people thinking, not thinking about their own death necessarily, but just thinking about death in general and why we have these fears and to think outside of the box. Or, as I like to say, I'm just returning it to the way it always was before. It wasn't broke. <laughs> we didn't need to fix it or change it. And it's now kind of a profit. It's a multi-billion dollar industry in America, the funeral industry. And I don't think it's helping families necessarily. It's a very expensive for the most part. And it's detaching us from our deaths and our grief. And I think that if people would just look at it, look at the industry and look at death and dying in America in general, they'll see that something isn't right and that it wasn't broken to begin with and just to go back to that way. And to become more normal, actually. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> to me, I hate that it's strange that I think death is normal. I do want death to be normal because it is normal. There's nothing strange about it. It's going to happen to me. It's going to happen to you. It'll happen to my next cat. It's, oh, it's not part of our lives. No, no. It's not going to happen to you and me. But we got to go. Oh, okay. so yeah. We're going to be We'll rushed. live forever. Everybody else will die. Forever. Everybody else I don't worry about. <laughs> uh, tell people how to get in touch with you if they want to. Um, you can go to my website, returninghomecs.com, or email me at returninghomecs at gmail.com. And um, if you have any questions, I'd be more than happy to answer them or to point you in the right direction. I'm also part of the National Home Funeral Alliance, and um, we have advocates all over the United States that teach home funeral classes, help families care for the dead at home. So if you're in another state, go on the National Home Funeral Alliance website and you can find somebody locally. Okay. Uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of me, I'm at Rabbi Mel at griefok.com. Next week we're going to have a guest who's going to talk to us about, quote, having the conversation and how do you start talking about death. It's not quite a death cafe, Lauren, but it gets there. It eventually it's gets start. there. It's a start. So, Lauren, I want to thank you so much for being my guest. You're wonderful. We need three more thank hours you. at least. And you'll be back. Will you come back? I'll come back for sure. All right, because we're not, we're not done yet. Thank you Good. so much. Thank you, everybody, for listening. From morning to morning, I'm Rabbi Mel Glazer. We'll see you next time. Thank you again for joining Rabbi Mel Glazer for From Morning to Morning. Please tune in again next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're wishing you strength and hope in the next week.